everybody, it's the Wages of Cinema. I'm Andrew. I'm Jack. And, and I'm you're... Andrew. And I'm Jack. Yes. Yes, we have such pep for you. Good to Woo. be back, people. Good to be back. It's April. It's uh, it's a nice night out. It's getting warm out here. A little bit. I mean, it's a cool night, but yeah, it's, it's now at the point where I put in my air conditioners a few weeks ago and... Uh, and now I'm using them. It's much cooler now. That, <laughs> yes. Now I, that you're here. Because this is the air conditioning podcast. This is actually, <laughs> I'm sure that exists somewhere. There's probably some podcast out there where people talk about, you know, how they install air conditioners and what Freon they use. And <laughs> see, I'm, you're already getting bored. And <laughs> I could see the glaze coming The air conditioner you. podcast is a registered trademark with Wages of Cinema. We should just, like, it's a little too late to do it, but imagine, like, an April Fool's podcast where we just come on and we talk about, like, mechanical things. Sure. And we troll our listeners. I don't what know. do you guys think? Yeah. Write to us at the, <laughs> on, our web, on our website. Tell us uh, all about of our... cinema backslash airconditioners.org, uh, <laughs> right slash colon. Air conditioners. Yes, you could notice it by the image of. Please like and subscribe. We'd love to yeah. hear your opinions. You anyway, no, you can notice it by the image of the giant air conditioner over my head. Right. All right. So, so with we that got said, stuff to talk about. What is this AMC texting business you just told me about? Okay. Now this isn't exactly new news. I mean, uh, when I say that, I mean to say that um, you know news travels fast. So we're recording this. Uh, and this happened about a week ago, or a week and a half ago. But basically, the the main problem w- that occurred was that the CEO of AMC uh, came forward. Uh, this guy, um, AMC Theaters, AMC Theaters. I should okay. Say. Not not to be confused with the AMC Channel. Uh, no, it's a very different beast. This guy named Adam Aaron, who's the CEO, uh, came out and sort of suggested um, that maybe that the theaters could allow like some texting during some movies. Um, like he, he, he tried to phrase it in such a way that made the, the large portion of the internet lose its mind. Uh, he basically suggested, and I'm reading this from an article from variety. Um, Aaron, who assumed the reins of the country's second largest theater chain, uh, in January 4th, uh, told variety during CinemaCon. Apparently cinema has a convention which is good. Uh, cool. The exhibition trade show wrapped on Thursday that he was open to making some theaters texting and mobile device friendly. And he said, when you tell a 22-year-old to turn off the phone, don't ruin the movie, they hear, please cut off your left arm above the elbow. You can't tell a 22-year-old to turn off their cell phone. That's not how they live their life. Man, that sounds... Uh... Really patronizing. That's patronizing, <laughs> and it's also, uh, I won't say prejudiced, but it's it, it, it's kind of making an assumption about a ageist. whole group of people. Yeah, ageist. I mean, look, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to name names, <coughs> my mom, <coughs> but uh, there are some Your people. Your mom. <laughs> All right, my mom's listening. She's actually, she's a big fan of the show, so I shouldn't begrudge her too much. Uh, she'd probably be listening to this and being like, hey, but, uh... You're out of the will, Jack. <laughs> Good luck earning a living with all that podcasting money. Uh, she just updated her life insurance policy, and I'm not in it. Um, no, but there are older people 
who use their phones, who are disruptive. You know, this whole thing. Boy, are they ever. Yeah, and I'm sure that there are 22-year-olds who put their phones away. Maybe a few of them. Maybe. Yeah. I, you know, people will learn decor some way or another. You want to hear my gut reaction to this? Yeah, you don't care? No, I, I do care about okay. this. because Now, there is an update to this story, but I'll say that in, in a few minutes. All right, my gut reaction to this is, if you can't put your phone down just to watch a movie you've paid $15 to watch... Well, at most. Sometimes it varies. Then what are you doing in a movie theater? That... Yeah. I, I am new to cell phones, rel- relatively speaking. I've only had my phone for a little over a year. Yeah, I remember when you finally got a phone. It was, uh, it, it 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 felt like the the dawn of a new age. It felt like you finally entered into uh, for you the technology. Well, no, it's like it was just this interesting thing. Just as an aside, where you know, for a lot of years, you were like the one holdout of someone who, you know, I have to call up somebody at their house. And they might not be home, yeah. and I have to leave a message. But I only their... had to get my phone because <laughs> I, yeah, because of a I job. had a job. And and I always make a point of turning off my phone before I go into the movie theater because I have no plans yeah. of taking that out once that movie has started. Yeah. How can I make snide remarks at a movie if I'm texting? Yeah. It's ridiculous. No. I, I think that for me, I've, I've you know... it. There are some people who are saying, well, why should I even go to a theater anymore? I should just wait for it to come on DVD and or home video, well, and I'll be fine with that. The reason my is, prob- is that films are made for theaters. Yeah, they're... In, they're the best way yeah. you can possibly see them, the way they're shot and the way their sound is mixed initially. I mean, they do make like other sound mixes for the DVD release, and you know, they, they make sure that that's well fit. But, I mean, it, movies are shot to be shown in theaters. Most of them, yeah. I mean, you get a handful of movies which the may good not ones. See it. Yeah, I mean, well, ideally, even little independent movies, like you know, even the movie that I made, Green Eyes, like that was meant to be shown in a theater. Yeah. Now, whether or not they get theatrical distribution, some movies sometimes it varies. But I've found that when I mention that, you know, they say, "Oh, well, you could watch a movie at home." I end up being a little bit more distracted when I'm home. I don't feel that pressure. Like sometimes I will look at my phone. Uh, while I'm watching a movie, while I'm at home. If I'm in a theater, though, you know, it's a you know, you're in the dark. You're surrounded by people. You're looking at a screen that's bigger sometimes than people's houses. You know, maybe not that big, but you know, pretty <laughs> damn big. And you know, have good sound. You want to immerse yourself in that. It's as I, uh, in a snide way, I put it as if it's like you know, you're five years old and you're in a classroom environment. You know, the teacher's about to read uh, Green Eggs and Ham. It's story time. <laughs> Listen to the teacher as he as he or she's giving story time to you. Um, but the point is, though, so th- there was a lot of outcry about this. Uh, the CEO of um, the Alamo Draft House actually oh, yeah. came out and was like, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely absurd. Uh, uh, most specifically, he actually said, um, I disagree with uh, his statements uh, on texting in a movie theater, innovation in this direction could seriously hurt our industry. Now, to be fair, um, he, his idea, I think, was initially, okay, if you're really feeling like you have to text in a theater, you know, we'll give you your own little theater, and then other theaters you won't be able to text. 
but I don't see how you can properly police that, that or yeah, monitor I mean, that. Uh, oh, you have to go to the special texting theater. You have to go to the theater for the Luddites. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you know, this is... For, not, for people who have perpetual ADD. But you're not going to have a theater... You're not going to have a texting theater and a regular theater for each movie that you're showing. No, I mean, you'd have to have ushers in order to... You know, to to follow that. I mean, the Alamo Draft House does do that. No, nope. I mean, you know, they actually do. If you're disruptive in Alamo Draft House, there, you can actually hold up a card against someone, and that person could be kicked out of the movie. Well, you get a warning first off, and then if you keep doing it, you're, you're out. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. You know, it's they uh, will kick you out of the Alamo Draft House if you are a nuisance. Which is their right because they are a private institution. As technically AMC Theaters is. The only difference is AMC Theaters, you know, they have thousands of theaters and they don't really hire the ushers in order to, you know, try to enforce that. Hmm. Um, but then they, uh, later on, though, like, now, within like a day or two, I forget how quickly it was, but then the guy came out and said, no texting at AMC. Won't happen. You spoke. We listened. Quickly. That idea has been sent to the cutting room floor. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty much that's the subtext there. Uh, it, it is also important to remember that this was just an interview he was given. It wasn't like he was saying, huh, I'm thinking of seriously allowing texting in the theaters. Yeah, no, but I but, think you know, it was... even, even the, a, a remark like that, the fact is you're a CEO of a company and your remarks will be you know taken seriously by the, the public. Uh, but then they literally, after like just a day of... People being like, are you effing kidding? Then they sent out a letter saying, AMC listens to our audience. Yes to theater enhancements, no to texting. And so the rest of the letter is all about, we're going to yeah, use yeah, our billions yeah. to enhance your blah, blah, blah. See, to me, if you're going to use your billions, don't throw it into this crap uh, AMC Prime. We, we talked about that in the Hardcore Henry podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, buy, get some ushers. Hire some people. You know, get some people who will, you know, actually be, you know, can be there for, uh, for stuff. Maybe it's hard to do that, but I don't know. Well, let me ask you though. I mean, I am fortunate enough that no one has ever disrupted a movie I've seen with, by talking on their cell phone or has. Really? Yeah. I've, I mean, now granted, I've, huh. I've seen, I've been to the theater a lot less than you have. I mean, this is a new year for me where I'm seeing like a, a movie in a theater every month. Before that, I was lucky if I was in a movie theater twice a year. Wow. So, you know, say what you will about me. But, I mean, I was just going to ask you, um, what's the big inconvenience or nuisance that you would like a theater chain, such as AMC, not necessarily AMC because there are lots of others, yeah. what's the nuisance that you'd really like them to clamp down on? Or, or, just, or something you just want to make them to make more convenient? I honestly... If I had to think about it, I think talking is more of a problem than than possibly texting. The biggest problem with texting, you know, if a person wants to be, you know, immersed in their phone instead of the movie, honestly, I mean, it's their business. Uh, the problem is it's their the light. Yeah. The little light from the phone, even if you make your phone really dimly lit, uh, it's still, you know, it's still a nuisance in that way. Um, but I've found that talking is more of a problem. I've had more problems of all things. Yeah, sometimes young people, sometimes like at a re movie I went to just the other day, I had uh, somebody who was uh, 
sometimes crying in front of my seat. Um, <laughs> sometimes crying? Yeah. Because of the movie? I don't know. It might have been just because they were too little to even be in a movie. And, oh, that's... you know, they were upset. Oh, I so... I feel like, weren't, weren't you there? I feel like there was a baby in the Batman Superman movie. I seem to vaguely to. remember a baby, but then I... That was probably overwhelmed by the absurdity of the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all of uh, Batman throwing a sink over Superman's head probably made the baby shut up. I don't um, know. But no, uh, I think talking, if if there could be more of a way, like I've had problems in the past where it's gotten so bad where I once had, I once, this is going back like six years ago, I got in like a screaming fight with somebody in the theater Oh geez. while it was going on because a guy was talking in like a normal tone of voice. I told him to be quiet. And at first he was quiet. Then he kept talking. And I was just, I felt the rage. Boy, I, mean, I, I felt like uh, like a Looney Tunes character when you see them explode. They're turning red. <laughs> and then finally I left and, you know, I did the thing that I thought, well, let me get an usher and see if that could help. And the guy came in. The guy wasn't talking anymore, so the usher didn't really do anything. And then, he, you know, I sat back down. The guy didn't talk anymore. But we were both kind of like... Sitting there, like, ugh. I still remember. That was for uh, well, Tony Tony Scott's last movie, Unstoppable, of all things. The one with the train? Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> but the point is, though, I think that if theaters had better ushers, like, sometimes when you go to AMC theater, it's hard to find anybody. You get people working in the snack area, mm. or maybe you get the ticket ripper. But maybe you can just have one person who's, like, walking around. You know, that yeah. you can maybe come up to and say, like, hey, uh, I really hate to bother you, but there's somebody who just won't stop talking in my, you know, behind me. Could you maybe tell them to be quiet, please? That's pretty So good. that could be something. I think the only real inconvenience that I've ever felt in a movie theater is that seating, uh, uh, seating is kind of a problem for me because I'm a pretty big guy. Not so you wish there were bigger seats? I, I wish... Yeah, I, I just... There are some theaters that there are, are putting theaters in bigger seats. There are theaters that do really, really, really good seats. They're starting to have, like, the comfy seats, too. Yeah, but, I you know, maybe and you know, just a little more space in the... You know, between seats, like, between rows. Yeah. So, you know, I can I can kind of move my legs and be fine. But that's not even the biggest problem. The, big, uh, the only big problem I've ever had was I went to see The Force Awakens the second time, right. and the film was out of focus. Ah, slightly out of. Focus. I know it's that it's that out of focus that's just so slight that for a split second you think, is my eyesight going bad? Yeah, am I gonna have to get glasses or why does no one else see this? Yeah, the kind of unfocused where you're like, is it worth it for me to get up and ask them to fix it? I will do that sometimes, though. You know that that's the point of, you know, I'm going to your theater, which is your place that you. You know, you're making money off me so that you're providing me a service. Provide me the best service. Yeah, and when you're talking about a venue that's all about the experience, you want to maximize yeah. the experience. So that means we're eliminating talking, making yeah. sure nobody's talking on the on their cell phones, you know, making sure that the picture is in focus. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because I think that sometimes that was a little bit more of a problem back when they had... Uh, film prints yeah um you know when you actually had a projectionist and stuff now with the digital uh projection uh you know i don't even i I wonder if they even if a person goes in even switches it on maybe they just have a robot now that works robo projectionist yeah i just picture like a guy with like a robot with a little like 
like hat or something. <laughs> Why does the robot need a hat? <laughs> I just picture projectionists have like the old style hats or something, and uh, I don't know. Uh, but the point is, this was a story. It got wrapped up, but I'm kind of curious uh, if if any if any other theaters might try to pull this type of thing because AMC, I mean, they're the biggest theater chain now in the country. Um, what's funny, you know, they used to be Lowe's when I was a kid. Oh, uh, that. Uh, oh yeah. Oh. Well, I, I again, I didn't spend too much time in theaters. We we had one theater in the town a few uh, not far away. Yeah. And that was where we saw all our movies, and it wasn't like we ever went to any other theater. Oh, okay. So, but, you know, all right. simple. Uh, if you have any thoughts about what we've just been discussing, uh, I should mention this at the top of the show, but you can actually send us an email uh, about this or any other things that we're talking about today, uh, wagesofcinema at gmail.com. And you can also reach us on Facebook at facebook.com slash wagesofcinema. Uh, we often post uh, some interesting links and videos in association with the movies we talk about. Also on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Please make sure to review us and rate us on iTunes. It helps us our presence. Uh, we've gotten a few uh, really nice positive reviews lately, and if you've written one of those, thank you for doing so. Um, I don't know if I've left anybody out. I don't know if there's... Uh, some little social media platform that we're also on. Oh yeah, and also Stitcher. Uh, you can check out this us on the Stitcher app. Um, okay, so um, in recent movies that have come out, uh, I don't know why I'm knocking on the table. I'm like I'm like a judge. Yeah, you know, this podcast like, is too good. We need to just bring down the quality. Order, order. Yes. You're out of order. I just I need a gavel. <laughs> I'm like a Supreme Court justice or something. I'll I'll see oh, if your film. nomination has come through. Anyway, in anyway. recent film news. Well, we just talked about... Oh, in film news. Uh, Well, what, you want to talk about the trailer? Oh, yeah. I was I was thinking about the trailer for the, the, the Magnificent, Magnificent Seven. Seven remake. It, it looks like a movie. I'm excited <laughs> because it's a Western. I feel yeah. like we just haven't been getting a lot of Westerns lately. It, uh, we, well, we did get The Hateful Eight. There are some independent westerns, actually, that have been happening lately. There are a couple of movies that came out last year, which I'm still been meaning to see. One is called Bone Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. You heard this movie? It's a Kurt Russell. I know the name. Yeah, it seems pretty violent from what I've heard. Uh, I guess it got overshadowed because of The Hateful Eight, um, because that was the really big Kurt Russell western, but this is the one that among film geeks is really like, ooh, Bone Tomahawk. And then there was another movie with Michael Fassbender called Slow West, which I think that title might put off some people. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you if you were to hear, hey, Andrew, you really need to check out Slow West, you'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that is the best title. No, but I guess I know what you mean. I mean, the Western is a genre which, you know, you get the Tarantino movie. Really occasionally you get, like, a Kevin Costner movie or something. Although we did get, get other Grit. movies like uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West. Oh, let's not bring that up. And... <laughs> I hear that's But, I mean, bad. there was a remake of True Grit, and we had... Uh, oh, uh, know, 310 to Yuma? 310 to Yuma. Which is another remake. But that, that was even longer it ago seems, than, it than seems, True It's Grit. a little sad, though, that... I mean, the... The lack of original westerns. 
Yeah, is maybe the thing. maybe that's the problem because you know half the things we've just mentioned are, are remakes. I mean, you know, and I mean it's not that it's unusual. I mean, a lot of Hollywood movies are remakes in general. Uh, I mean, we're gonna I'm gonna talk about uh, a remake or two in, in a few minutes, but um, but I don't know the trailer. It looks fun. I like the cast. It's got shooting. It's got horses. It's got, got Denzel. Cowboys. Denzel Washington. Oh, and uh, you know Ethan Hawke. So Chris Pratt. who's playing Eli Wallach in this? I don't know. It I looks believe... no. It looks like they've changed it because you know it was Mexican bandits in the original. I think it's a white now, guy this time. Yeah, it, it seems like it's just Whitey this time. But... <laughs> it's just Whitey. Well, it's a mixed cast. I mean, again, you got Denzel. I think that you there's. Know, you know what interests me? Hmm. There's in the Magnificent Seven. There was that one character who, like, his special thing was like, I can throw a knife faster than you can draw. Yeah, well, that, that was character... kind of inspired by the guy in Seven Samurai. Which... Yeah. Uh, you know, that was the well, guy who can... But no, you've seen The Seven Samurai, of course. Uh, well, yeah. It's, yeah, it's but great. like the parallel scene between like... Alright, and Magnificent Seven... Magnificent Seven is basically a remake of The Seven Samurai. By the way, in full disclosure, I have not seen the original Magnificent Seven. Oh, that's too bad. You're a terrible I... person. <laughs> the, the, and you're judgmental. I mean, for God's sake, Eli Wallach is in it. I know, I know. I... But anyway, in, in... I will watch it. Soon. Like, all right. Since you haven't seen it in Magnificent Seven, that scene where it's like the guy throws the knife and it hits the guy who who before he can draw his gun, that's paralleled in the Seven Samurai by a different one where this is this guy who draws a sword. No, he, he well, yes, he draws a sword and he does sort of like a I a think practice I battle, and it's like. Yeah, and he's like, "No, I would have killed you. You would have lost." And the guy's like, "All right, let's do it for real." Oh yeah, that is such a great scene. Yeah, because then they come up and swipe swords, and then it cuts to a slow motion shot where you see the guy fall down on the ground. Yeah, that's that's the parallel in there. Okay, but I mean, but in this new in this remake, that guy with the knives is played by a character who seems to be who is a who is Asian of Asian descent. Yeah, I mean, clearly he is the only Asian guy in yeah. the West right now. Yeah, it seemed like is that the guy who had on like the mask? I don't think so. I felt like there's also like a Indian character. In there that. is a, also a uh, character who is an American Indian. I mean, I'll I'll go see it. You know, I'll I, go see it's, it. It's an Antoine Fuqua movie. He's he's hit or miss with me, but what else has he done? Um, Training Day. Uh, okay. Training Day. Uh, he did a Denzel movie called The Equalizer. Um, I mean, he's done a bunch. His of stuff. specialty seems to be working with Denzel Washington. He's done a few movies with him. He's uh, he's done a lot of action stuff. Oh, he made a movie which I don't really care for called Law Abiding. No, no, he didn't do Law Abiding Citizen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm... <laughs> I know Jesus. about Law Abiding Citizen. You are one. <laughs> Am I? Sometimes. Anyway. <laughs> Um, oh no, oh, yeah, well he's, he's done a lot of, like, studio stuff, like Olympus Has Fallen, oh. Southpaw, Shooter, which sounds like the most generic title ever, um, uh, he made, oh, he did an adaptation of King Arthur. Which one? The one, the one from with Clive King... Owen? Yeah. Oh, I haven't it... seen that one yet. I haven't either. I've I'm, I've been meaning to see it. I mean, I don't expect it to be good. No, I but... heard it wasn't very. I heard it was kind of mediocre. But there's a director's cut, huh. so I'd be curious to check that out. Now that, I'm, that I think about it, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a whole King Arthur story. Um, it ha it actually, it seems to have a pretty good cast, uh, from what I could see. Kira Knightley. 
Keira Knightley, uh, Mads Mikkelsen, Ray Winstone, Stone Sarsgaard. I will bet that Mads Mikkelsen is the villain. Uh, he plays Tristan? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> he has a little bit of range in this, and he have to be the, the villain of it. If um, I, if I, the smart money would have said villain. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what it is. It's a King Arthur movie that is uh, a Jerry Bruckheimer production. So, I mean, although the director's cut is one of those things where it's, like, 15 minutes longer than the original, so maybe it's good. Everyone says, though, like, director's cuts are weird because I, I've only seen one director's cut that I thought was worth it. Like, everyone said that – this is different, but, I mean, I everyone said that Kingdom of Heaven was so much better I in know, his director's cut. This. And it was – and it's not because the script is not there. It's just more You stuff. could add as many scenes as you want. No, the the story was not there. It, I, Okay, I'm gonna stop. All right, all right. But the Ridley point Scott is, historical epics really get uh, me in a bad mood. Oh no, no, yeah, we we have a whole other podcast about that. Um, I'd say that, yeah. I mean, this movie looks fine. I don't know what else to say about it. It's a magnificent seven. I mean, I wish it's not necessarily a necessary movie. No, to exist. But I mean, for a remake, I'm feeling kind of good about this. It has action. It has Chris Pratt. It has a good, good looking cast. So I'm uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing this in the fall. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, so with that pew, said, pew. Pew, pew. I want to talk about a few movies that I saw in the past uh, in the past week. Um, first off, I saw the Jungle Book. Oh uh, yeah, this has been getting some great reviews. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's my deal with the Jungle Book. Um, I don't know if I've talked about, it, but the Disney version I love. Okay. Like the Disney version is up there with among my favorite Disney movies, and I think it's I re- pretty good. Not one of Disney's best. It came in that period where they kind of got shoddy. No, nah, but, but it was still, still it was but, still Disney produced it. Yes, like, the Jungle Book though, the movie, even though it's from this kind of weird period, it's still a good movie. I think that for me, why I love it so much again, it might be a little personal. I kind of have I see it's there. There are a couple types of classic Disney movies. You have a little bit more of the more classically stylized, often for fairy tale movies like Snow White, your, your, Cinderella, Sleeping your Golden Beauty. Age Disney. Yeah, but then you have a little those movies that are a lot. They're more fun. They're more about the comedy. They're a little bit more about like, let's not have it so tightly wound, if that's a word. Like it doesn't have to be so perfectly drawn. It could be a little bit. More about they the can, characterizations. They, they can play a little more loosely with the animation and, yeah. and not be so worried about the appearance. Yeah. Your, your films like The Sword and the Stone and, yeah, and 101 and, Dalmatians. And of course, the best of those is Dumbo, which, you know, that came in that period where it is still in that era of the real early Disney. But that is also, it's, it's more about the character than about, like, oh, let's get this background where. Sleeping Beauty dances just right with uh, the prince or whatever. Um, I don't know. Again, Still love Sleeping preference. Beauty. Point, right. No, but let's not get into it's that. It's all right. It's all right. The point is, I think Jungle Book works as a great comedy animated movie. Okay. Now, you have this new movie, which is live action. But apparently, I discovered, I thought that all the animals are computer are, were animated and everything else was real. No, everything is computer animated. Except for Mowgli. <laughs> Which is astounding to me. Um, now, here's the thing about this new movie. It is better than I expected. It's probably the best 
Jungle Book movie I could have gotten. Uh, in ter- and in terms of story, like in terms of the core story, it might actually be slightly more impressive than the animated one. But I still like the animated one more. Okay. Because it's more entertaining. This right. movie isn't that much fun. It's a, I'm not going to say it's a gritty reboot, but it comes close. <laughs> uh, I mean, in this one, you know, again, because it's live action, uh, you know, there are some more terrifying sequences. The scene where Mowgli meets uh, Ka, the snake, it, Ka is voiced by Scarlett Johansson, and she almost has a bit of a sexual predator vibe. <laughs> it's like... I'll protect you, Mowgli. Trust in me. It's like, oh my god, is Ka about to touch Mowgli in the voice of Scarlett Johansson? Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> um, now the thing about this movie, too, okay, so Mowgli, they crib, you know, it's not just, the problem with the movie, though, is that they have to cater both things. They want to try and make a little bit more of an original, exciting Jungle Book movie, but they have to throw in stuff from the original movie. Right. Um, so the movie isn't a musical, but there are two numbers. There's there are the, two musical numbers in this film. Yes, there there's the bare necessities, mm-hmm. and then there's I want to be like you. Um, now Bill Please Murray, tell me that Christopher Walken he is the sings. voice of Louis, and he sings. Oh my God, <laughs> Christopher Walken, my God, as King Louis. Oh man, cub, wait, I want to be like you. Yeah, he does a whole musical number. I was sitting in my seat, like, laughing. And I don't know if I was laughing with the movie or kind of... I guess I was laughing with it, but kind of at it. Because it's yeah. like, this is ridiculous, Christopher Walken. I, think, I don't think you could ever really ignore the fact that it's Christopher Walken No, you can't. Singing. I mean, he, uh, to be fair, he, he, he has fun with it. I mean, he, he makes him a little bit like a gangster. Right. I mean, the thing is, though, you watch the cartoon movie... And okay, yeah, it's silly that all of a sudden we have like a swing number with uh, Louis Prima. But I love that scene. That's one of my favorite musical numbers of all time. It's I just a pretty think good. It's, it's so amazing. It gets stuck in my head and it's so cool. And of course you have Bare Necessities, which that's Which fine. is great. It's the best song in the in the whole movie. Yeah. Um But yeah, the the pro- the thing is also it's just I, but when that, you have something which is so much more intense, how yeah. do you balance that against two musical numbers? Yeah, I mean, they try to bring in Baloo as the comic relief, but it doesn't really work so well. I mean, he he's fine in the movie. Um, he does a pretty good job. I mean, a lot of the voice work is really good. I mean, Idris Elba is the voice of uh, Shere Khan, and he makes him terrifying. I'll, I'll listen to that guy voice act anything oh he has a great voice he was in zootopia yeah i know and i, think... I was there i saw the movie with you good he's gonna be in finding Dory. by the way listen to our zootopia review <laughs> yeah i'm in the middle of a review here um <laughs> that's fine um so i'd say go see it it isn't it is uh it is an exciting movie um I kind of wonder if real little kids might be terrified by a couple of sequences because they put so much work into making these animals look realistic. Even though when they talk, it gets a little bit uncanny valley, just slightly. It's 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 jarring. Yeah, and the thing, other the other criticism too, he's not that bad, but the little kid actor who plays Mowgli is just not very good. 
And it might be because he's up against actors like Ben Kingsley and hmm. Bill Murray and Idris Elba and all these other Although people. Although we, we do have to cut him some slack. I mean, he is the only real person probably on the set. Yeah, he's acting against tennis balls. Yeah. So I was... I. I I was impressed by the movie. I just didn't love it. I would say. Okay. So that was the Jungle Book. Um, anything you've seen lately? Oh, I've seen uh, quite a few things, but nothing uh, I really want to talk about right now. I'm saving it up for the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, all right. Well, there are a few other things I'd like to talk about though before we move on. Um, I watched Purple Rain yesterday. All right. Good old. Uh, Prince is, has left us, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, did you like a bunch of Prince music? I was not super familiar with his work. You never... Uh, you never... I really, really like the song Little Red Corvette. Yeah, that's a fun little pop song, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Great uh, 80s pop. Yeah. He, uh, in Purple Rain, you know, certainly has a few iconic songs. Like... Uh, and the Bat Dance from... Uh... <laughs> yes. I mean, if nothing else, he has contributed to cinema immensely by giving us party man and bat dance yes and the music video for bat dance is crazy have you ever yeah, seen I've that seen it. where he puts on the joker makeup and it's like bat dance i remember all right um so purple rain this movie is very dramatic how so in a lot of ways well it's supposed to be kind of a semi-autobiography of prince's early life i guess as he was trying to make it as a musician. Now, that's very tricky. Well, yeah. Like, when you, when you have... Like, when was this movie made? 84. Okay, so Prince is really just coming into his own at that point. Well, he was already a, kind, of a big, a kind of a success. He'd done 1999, and... Uh, I mean, he was a success, but I mean, how long had, be, had he been known? Like Maybe like five or six years. Okay, so but I mean, he's still on his way up. Yeah. And then you're making a story about his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually you wait until someone is, is towards the end of the career to make well, their well, no, but their, it's all, their but biopic. It's also, no, but it's also like you know the pop singer movie. Like it's you know the Beatles doing Hard Day's Night. You want to see a Beatles movie. You know here you want to see a Prince movie. Okay. But what you also get is you know the story. He plays a character called the Kid, who um, <laughs> he might have a character name. I don't remember. He's he's Prince. Okay. And, you know, throughout the movie, it just follows him as he meets this girl and falls in love. But then, you know, he he has a... He's a little bit of an aggressive boyfriend, to say the least. Uh, His parents are having an abusive relationship. Like, his dad hits his mom. And so there's a lot of drama with that. Um, Then there's drama with his band. Uh, Not with his band, but, like, with how the public sees his band. Because... Like throughout the movie, what what what's kind of clever about the the when he performs on stage, it reflects sort of where the plot is at a particular mm. moment. So he will um uh you like when he's ser- he's trying to woo the girl of the movie. He's doing like a very sexy song, like loving song, and then you cut to like the woman in the audience, and she's just like. Oh my god, I can't wait to have him. She's swooning. Yeah, swooning. But then, like, they have a fight, and, you know, he, she's going away with some other guy. And he has, like, an intense, super crazy sexual performance on stage where he's, like, humping an amp. I knew a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with magazines. 
said, how'd you like to waste some time? And I could not resist when I saw little Nicky grind. And then the end of the movie, when he's gone through all this turmoil and his father's gone through some drama, then he performs the title track of the movie, which if you ever if you ever hear the song Purple Rain, it's like a super power anthem, which is really good. So I I did kind of like the movie, even though a lot of the story is silly, huh. and it, a lot of, some of it doesn't make sense. Uh, there's some entertaining stuff to it. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Morris Day in the Time. No. Um. They are quite entertaining, too. So if you ever get a chance, you should check it out. Um, another thing I'd like to talk about, Elvis and Nixon. Have you, ever, have you heard about this movie? I've heard about it, and I know the story of Elvis and Nixon. That they, the, It's supposed to be the most requested photograph in the National Archives, mm-hmm. which is insane. But King with uh, Tricky Dick. Right. And, um, yeah, it just They're follows cops. how... It just follows how Elvis was a... You know, a super hardlining guy who hated all the hippies and, you know, thought they're all communists going to take over the the country. And, uh, you know, they're subversives on drugs. And he wanted to be deputized uh, so he could go undercover with, I'm not kidding, these are his words in the movie, because he's a master of costume. Because he's been in so many movies. And he knows karate. So he can infiltrate all of these underground organizations. <laughs> you have your, your face bomb. Yeah. But and and kinda... the twist is, Nixon believes him. Yeah, well, well, not so much believes him, but he does deputize him. Deputize. And at first, Nixon, the whole thing in the movie is that, you know, Elvis wants to meet Nixon so he could, you know, talk about it. And Nixon's like, oh, I'm not going to meet him. He's a rock star. But then, like, his, huh. like the two of them, it's a fascinating thing. It's a, it's you, to see, you know, Michael Shannon's Elvis and Kevin Spacey as Nixon. It's like this kind of dance of two massive egos. And, like, they, you know, they, they compare, like, the size of their ranches. Not ranches, their homes. You know, yeah. well, well, the White House is this big. Oh, well, uh, Graceland is this, you know, it's like, it's a gigantic <laughs> dick measuring contest and it's awesome. Um, it, the movie's kind of slight, but it's quite funny. So I would say if it's on there, if it's ever on TV, stop what you're doing, check it out. But, um, or go to a theater where there is no texting allowed. Yes, you could do that too. Go, go see this movie in a theater and support Michael Shannon, who, doesn't really look like Elvis at all. But I think it's kind of nice that we have an Elvis who's scary. Like, the the great thing, too, is, you know, it's one thing to get a biopic and you get, um you know, a whole movie about Elvis, but this is about just one particular period of Elvis's life. Uh, you know, when he was, uh, you know, I guess in transition, you could say, it was right before he became Fat Elvis. 
Right. Uh, when I guess he was still thin and stuff. And, uh, um, you know, and he, he, it's a little bit about celebrity as well and the image that they put out there. The fact that Elvis had this whole persona that he made and nobody ever really saw Elvis. They just saw, like, moments in their life that they associate with Elvis. Right. And I guess with Nixon, there's a little bit of that, too. The fact that, you know, I, I'm, I'm President Nixon. I'm not a crook. But behind closed doors, you know, he's he's cursing and you know talking about the commies and Jews and all that. Yeah. <laughs> Nixon tapes, of course, are you know a treasure trove of comedy gold. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I Jack kinda... can say that because he is both a Jew and a communist. Yeah, well, <laughs> go Bernie. Um, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I. Again, it's not a very deep movie. It's only like 80-something minutes long. Huh. Um, so it's pretty short. Um, yeah, that sounds like a decent uh, experience. The one thing that was interesting about it... Um, you remember the identical? Yeah, I remember that. Unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> there is one moment in the movie, which is like my favorite scene the whole thing. It's like right before Elvis is about to go meet Nixon, he's sort of standing out in like the room, waiting room, to go in the Oval Office. And he's kind of talking to himself to try to prepare for, like, what am I going to say to him? And he gives his whole speech to himself about his stillborn twin brother and, you know, the drama, you know, how his mother felt having, a, you know, a, the most happy moment come right after the saddest moment and all that. And I thought the identical yeah. because that's what that whole, that whole thing is based that on. Could, yeah, that's basically the same idea. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, go see that. Um, a couple other quick movies I want to talk about. Um... Uh, a movie that will probably end up on my top ten list, uh, speaking of Ethan Hawke, who we were just talking about with Magnificent Seven, is this movie called Born to be Blue. Um, this is also kind of a biopic. It's about this jazz musician named Chet Baker. I don't know if that might sound familiar. He was kind of like the... He wasn't quite as big as Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie and those guys, but he was close. Um... The interesting thing with this movie, A, Ethan Hawke, best performance of his career. So if you like Ethan Hawke, you should really seek it out. He really, you know, pulls out the vulnerability with this one. Better than Hamlet? Yes, this somehow it, he brings out more emotion than delivering the to-be-or-not-to-be speech while walking down the aisle of Blockbuster. Yeah. Which is what is a scene in that yeah, movie. Yeah, people say that that scene is what ended the uh, reign of Blockbuster. <laughs> Yeah, it only took ten years, but hey, it happened. Slow decline, my friend. Ethan Hawke moping, going, to be or not to be, that is the question. Oh, here's a Blockbuster coupon. Kill uh, Bill Murray! <laughs> yeah, Bill Murray was in it too. Have you ever seen that one movie? I'm afraid I have not. <laughs> it's, it's actually not terrible. It's just strange to see them transpose the story of Hamlet in modern day. And, and again, Bill Murray reciting Shakespeare is... Both you know, delightful now that you've brought weird. Now that you've brought this up, I do want to bring something up Shakespeare related. I'm okay. going to let you finish talking about Chet Baker though. All right. Um, so, all right, really briefly. So, go see this movie. Uh, it's one of the best movies I've seen so far this year. Uh, if it's still playing near you, possibly. Um, the great thing about this to me is that it kind of fools you into thinking it's going to be a traditional biopic, and it pulls the rug out from under you. Because at first you think it's like, a surrealist biopic. Well, well, in a way, I mean, basically, it, it starts off with like Chet Baker was a drug addict, 
And like the first scene of the movie, he's pulled. oh please, he's a jazz musician. <laughs> yeah, okay, God, God, question that. Um, yeah. But he's like pulled out, like he's pulled out of a prison by somebody, and he's asked like, "How'd you like to be in a movie?" And then you think like, "All right, we'll see that movie happen at some point." And you cut to like a black and white thing of him in like his classic era of the mid fifties. He's gonna perform at Birdland. He he's gonna take his first time having heroin, and he cheats on his wife. But then all of a sudden you hear, cut! And then it's like he's actually acting in the movie of his life as himself. <laughs> and then the rest of the movie is about his relationship with the actress who's playing his wife in the movie. Huh. And they have a relationship. And it's about, like, his comeback. And uh, because he got, like, his teeth knocked out from, like, by some drug dealer, so... Yeah, like an uphill thing with that. Circles within circles. Yeah, I, I found that fascinating. It was a, kind of a meta commentary on biopics. Um, wow, that actually sounds really cool. Yeah. All right, but what were you about to say about Shakespeare? All right, Shakespeare. Uh, we, I was recently at work. All right. And long story short, I saw parts of Franco Zeverelli's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah. I saw that in school like a long right. time ago. But then immediately after that, I saw the end of Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Why did you see both back to back? They were The people who, were, who I was with were watching the end of both films. Oh, it's like okay. they were watching them concurrently, and I just happened to be there during the end. And I was so drawn into Franco Zeffirelli's movie... And I was amused by how flashy and silly <laughs> Baz Luhrmann's movie was. Because I've have seen, you ever, have I've you ever seen, seen the, the whole thing. You've seen the whole Luhrmann movie. But that movie. was a long time ago. It's not very good. And I and and at the time I was willing to bear with it because I was I, I was in high school at the time and I'm like, okay, this is Shakespeare. It's kind of a different thing, but I'm gonna go with it because, you know uh just give it a shot. Yeah. And I hadn't seen it for a while, but then I saw it again, and I'm like, man, this is it's so overblown, <laughs> it's so melodramatic, and yeah. uh, just really uh, superficial. Oh yeah, I mean, they, very they, not, very dated. You were talking, yeah, you were talking about how, uh, you were talking about how, uh, you know, Ethan Hawke's Hamlet is so weird, taking Hamlet and putting it in the modern day, yeah. and you know, there's something wrong with trying to do that. No, not but necessarily. There's... It depends on what, how strong your vision is of it. I mean, we watched that uh, adaptation of Coriolanus yeah. not too long ago, where they took the story and put it into modern uh, military garb. Yeah, but the the thing was is that it was very general. Yeah. I mean, this reminded me of another Shakespeare film that has a very weird adaptation, Titus. Yeah. Well, that's set in its period. Well, not really. It's, no? It's like... Titan. Well, it was very stylized, of course. Yeah, and Julia that's Tamer. the thing that I realized. I mean, Baz Luhrmann's Ro Romeo and Juliet, it tries to take Romeo and Juliet, put it in a very specific time frame, which is it's ostensibly our world. Like, yes. It seems like L.A. at times. I think it is. Yeah, but it, it, it seems like a very specific L.A., and mm. it's dated. And, the, and modern... Or contemporary L.A. and Renaissance Verona do not mix well. Yeah. They're like lemon juice and milk. Yeah. 
there's a, there's a reason why like yeah the Zeffirelli one still works so well because there's a purity to it. There's well, some it, kind of it's he, authentic. He, he it, taps it's got... into the innocence of that romance, and also the uh, the how you know the, the sort of rivalries that happen between the two families. Right, but there are. But I mean, Julie Taymor did that weird did did Titus, which tried to sh- put it in more modern settings. But it did so in a way that wasn't specific to anything. It was very yeah. stylized, and they were they and they went back and forth between different things. Yeah. Like this part of the film is modern, but this part of the film is is older. But it yeah. all came together into this cohesive, stylized whole. Uh-huh. Whereas Baz Luhrmann tried very hard to make things fit, like. When they talk about swords, they're holding guns. Yeah. But so he tries to get around that by having the gun say sword on the side. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also any film that has uh, a song by the Cardigans is not de- is not destined to age well. What? I forget what song was that. But love I... me, love oh, is that the Cardigans? Yes. I kind of like that song. I like that song, too, but... But it doesn't really fit a Romeo <laughs> no, to it. No, it movie. doesn't. It, it fits, like flannel and yes. uh, that whole era um oh one more movie i'd like to talk about though uh, i mean i and i saw a bunch of movies i i'll briefly mention uh like i saw oh one thing though i i got a special treat i saw like a movie that's almost never shown at all in this country i saw an adaptation of the stranger hmm. uh you know the uh camus uh stranger by lucchino visconti with marcello mastriani that was special. I mean, I, I could tell you to go check that out, but this is one of those very few movies which is not on DVD, it's not on VOD, uh, it's not, you can't get it anywhere. Like, maybe it's on, like, PAL DVD or something like that, but if you this ever This is get... for Jack only, hands off. Yeah, hands off my movie experience, you apes. Um, no, this was really good. Uh, if you ever get a chance to check it out, I mean, it's... Full of existential despair, and Marciani was great. But the movie I want to talk about, I rewatched a documentary that I hadn't seen in a while called Cinemania. Now, this movie, if you want to check it out, I think it's on Vimeo somewhere. It's this documentary, I think it's made from like 15, 14 years ago, um, that's all about these super movie freaks. And when I say super movie freaks, you know, I mean... You look at me and you think, oh, Jack watches a lot of movies. Oh, no, yeah. No, no. This is all about these, to put to say they're obsessed and compulsive is kind. They're almost uh, closet cases. You, there are these group of people, these three or four guys and this one older woman who, you, I don't know if they still do it, but they spent all their time just going to movies. Nothing but movies in New York City. Like, they would, you know, just go, like, spend, spend days... And I don't mean like just, oh, well, I'll see a, a few, three movies today and then I'll take a break. No, they would say three movies every day. Mm. And they would find they would have like their schedules all mapped out and itinerized, uh, if that's even a word. And, um, you know, just uh, I guess this is back when theaters might have been a little bit cheaper in New York City. You know, it's not like today where everything is $15. Uh, you know, they they. When there was no texting at all. No, no, no texting. Uh, but there are some fascinating stories about, you know, these, these people and what they're like and how, why they go to so many movies. 
uh, you know, the, how, what they've done over time. Like they're, they're just obsession with movies to the point where, you know, one guy says, I just couldn't real, you know, I don't think sex would be, you know, that fulfilling to me. It wouldn't be as fulfilling as going to see a movie <laughs> or, uh, or, you know, I can't imagine having sex with Rita Hayworth unless it's in black and white, <laughs> like those type of people. <laughs> It's a... You'd wish that they'd try having sex in a movie theater. Ah, yeah. That's pretty hot. What what movie would you watch while having sex in a movie theater? Oh, God. Um, that's a good... Well, the thing is, I guess the question is, though, would it be a movie that the movie is setting the tone for the sex, or is it that I can be distracted by the movie? Well, whatever your reasoning is. You um, want to hear what I, I would do? What I would what I would watch. <laughs> Why do you, you want me? do you want me to make you uncomfortable? Yes, Andrew, please. Secretary. Oh God, really? Yes. <laughs> Secretary. What well, well, like? But wouldn't you want to like watch that movie? It's kind of. Oh, fun. I've seen it. <laughs> so you're saying in a theater? I would not mind uh, copulating in a movie theater where Secretary was being shown on screen. Mm. I would choose that. Hey, I mean. What's you know what? what now what? are there other people around? Probably not. But. No, I was gonna say <laughs> try not to have sex with somebody while you know you're while other people in the theater. Uh, reminds me of like a story that I, I watched some online video review of of all things, Mister Popper's Penguins. Oh yeah, that was a movie with Jim Carrey I guess a few years ago. And what's his name? Clark Gregg. Yeah, but there was this movie adaptation of that. And these guys reviewed this movie. They went to go see it in a theater at, like, midnight. Oh, and no one was there? Except that it was a type of theater that had a balcony section. And so they were the only guys... These two guys were the only ones in the lower level. In the balcony level, there were two people who were just fucking away. Wow. And... (laughs) During Mr. Popper's Penguins. You know, I cannot... Uh, I cannot blame them for that. Yeah. All right. If I'm going to name... All right. Think of a movie that I would copulate to. <laughs> Just look around the room, Jack. You yeah, can... At the various movies that I have uh, stashed away. Strewn here. about. Um... Friday the 13th? Dead Alive? <laughs> God, you're looking at those movies. Um... Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? That's That's not... Bad, actually. That's oh, not you a know what? Choice. Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Oh, okay. That I would be a fun movie to do it to. You know, you have all those boobs all hanging around. Um, or <laughs> wow, just, you make it sound so Or great. just any Russ Meyer movie in general. Like, mm. he actually has a couple movies from the 60s that would... Not 60s, the 70s. There's a movie called Super Vixens. That, that would be a fun movie to... Why do I know. feel like that's been made into a comic book already? Maybe, that title. Maybe Stanley did it. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, if there's a movie that you've copulated to, send us no, an no, email. No, no. Please, keep it to yourself. <laughs> but if you want to talk about right. movies with us, or if you have questions to ask us, then send us an email, right Jack? Yeah, wagesofcinema at gmail.com um, Alright, actually we kind of did that earlier in the interview, so I, I guess I'm Do it again. Myself. Do it again. All right, so when we come back, uh, Andrew is going to reveal his latest dive into the cinema immersion tank, and it is uh, quite the classic movie, so listen in.
king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I'd reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. I wanna be a man, man, come, stroll right into town. Be just like the other men, I'm tired of monkeying around. Oh, ooby-doo, I wanna be like you. I wanna walk like you, talk like you, too. Someone like me can learn to be like someone like you.